Take your Bibles, please, and turn to 1 Samuel 17. That's where we are as we move through the book of 1 Samuel together. 1 Samuel 17. Here's the key concept for this morning. The Lord can give you victory against the giant issues that you face. Of course, when we come to 1 Samuel 17, we're, we're coming to the uh, passage that tells us about David's battle with Goliath. And David and Goliath is one of the w- most well-known of all Bible stories. In fact, it's so well-known, at least acknowledged by those who don't ever read the Bible, that David and Goliath has come into the secular vocabulary of our world. It's, a, it's used in sports matchups. It's used in political matchups. In fact, anywhere where a metaphor for an unfair fight uh, is needed, David and Goliath's struggle seems to come into people's minds. But really, it's a fascinating story of bravery, of willingness to serve, of patriotism and faith, and it shows us David's character. Last week we saw David be uh, anointed as king. But remember, that was a secret anointing. Only the family was present uh, as as David was set apart to be the next king. And at the end of chapter 16, David is called to use his musical skill to play the harp in the throne room of Saul so, so that his troubled mind can be eased. And we notice that irony of the future king ministering to the present king who is now being uh, set aside by God. But the fact is that that um, playing a harp in the court, courtroom of Saul, that was not a full-time job. Today, people would call that a side hustle. David had another job, and that job was watching the sheep that belonged to his family. And he went back and forth between the, the time he spent at home watching the sheep and the times that he was called in to, uh, to minister to the, to the king. And he evidently spends long periods of time away from the palace uh, during some of these episodes, so much so that as you read into the details of First Cham- uh, Samuel chapter 17, you see Saul with obviously other things on his mind, let's say the battle that's right before him. He, he doesn't r- recognize David when he comes in the scene before us. He has to be reminded who he is. And maybe you've experienced that, seeing somebody who's out of place and you just really can't get, remember their name because you're so used to seeing them in one place. You see them out of, out of that place and it just doesn't fit. I'm sure Saul uh, didn't expect Harp Boy to show up as a, a, a warrior. And so he doesn't remember quite who he is. But no matter what's going on here, David is back home with the, the sheep when the news breaks out that yet another battle against the Philistines has come upon them. And three of David's brothers are mobilized to service. And so we'll pick up the reading in chapter 17. We'll start in verse 3, and then we'll go down to verses 3 and 4, then 8 through 11. You follow along. It says this. The Philistines occupied one hill, and the Israelites another with the valley between them. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. He was over nine feet tall. Go down to verse 8. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not the servants of Saul? 
Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and will serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. The armies are standing facing each other for 40 days. For 40 days this goes on while Goliath comes out and verbally assaults the Israelites, insults the Israelites day after day. There he is, this huge man, and the Philistines are very, very happy to let him fight their battles. Let Goliath go out there. They're confident that no one will be able to defeat Goliath. Imagine Shaquille O'Neal's larger, meaner, stronger, older brother, and that's what you have. He stood well over nine feet tall. His, his, this is a huge person, and his weapons are huge. I imagine his voice is huge. I mean, everything about this guy was scary. So day after day, no one volunteers to take him on. I mean, can you blame them? As, and as time goes on, this is getting a little embarrassing for Saul. He's getting more and more desperate for somebody to do something about this guy, Goliath. And so he begins to raise up some incentives. Let's, maybe if I just give the army some incentives. And at first, probably the incentive was emotional. Who's going to go fight for king and country and defeat this Goliath, defend the honor of our nation? And at that, everybody looks at their shoes. Some of them are like, you know, I have a thing that I have to get to. I'm sorry. Well, the incentives have to go up. So pretty soon Saul starts offering money, uh, bribing somebody to get out there and fight Goliath, and that, and that doesn't work. And then he offers his daughter's hand in marriage, and that doesn't work. Then he offers a tax exemption, and that doesn't work. And he extends it to tax exemption for your whole family. And you can see the calculus in people's minds. What good is it if I don't pay taxes when I'm dead? I'm not going to pay taxes anyway after I die. And so into this scene, which is frustration and fear, David comes. And the reason he came down to the place where the army was was to bring food for his three brothers, his three brothers who had been mobilized into the army. And David hears this struggle. And for the life of him, he can't figure out while no one is fighting this guy. Pick up the reading in verse 32. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. And Saul replied, You are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a boy, and he has been a fighting man from his youth. Skip down to verse 36. David is speaking. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. Now, maybe it's my imagination, but it seems to me that Saul caves pretty easily there. I almost, I almost hear him saying like, okay, whatever, go, and the Lord be with you. But he's desperate to have somebody stop the humiliation, somebody do something about this. And so... With that assent to David's desire to fight, Saul himself begins to outfit David with the arm armor that Saul believes he will need. 
You see, Saul imagines David fighting Goliath the way that all the rest of the soldiers would fight Goliath or the way that he would fight Goliath himself. And so the king tries to strap on his own armor on David. He puts his helmet on his head. You can imagine it dropping down below his eyes. He gives him his sword at his, at his side, and I can imagine David tipping over at the weight. And in verse 39, David reacts to this, and he says this, I, can't, I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. So he took them off, and then he took his staff in his hand, and he chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. Saul, you see, sees only the style of the soldiers of his day. He sees only the way that he would approach Goliath if he had the courage to do so, the armor and the protective gear. But none of that is going to work for David because none of that is David's style. And even if he could, it could be made to fit, it's not how David would approach the issues that he faces. Right from the start, David understood that this victory was not going to be about weaponry. This victory was not going to be about the armor. It had to be about God working a work. It had to be about the power of God. And he had to be used of God in the way that David was designed to be used according to who he was. So he went out to Goliath, and he went out to Goliath his way. And in verse 49, we read, reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and it struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. And so David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. Now, sling, the, the, the sling that they uh, spun, you know, and then let loose the stone, that was actually a fairly common weapon in ancient battles. And it was no joke of a weapon. Uh, I read that sometimes the rocks that they would propel through the sling uh, was actually the size of a tennis ball. I mean, you could do some serious damage with that. But we have no idea the size of the rock that David propelled into Goliath. It had to be thrown well, and what we see for sure, it was thrown well. He has four stones left out of the five. But in this situation of David's victory, I want you to notice that he actually had three victories. He had victory over fear to begin with. And that's where everybody was in the camp when he arrived. Everybody was paralyzed by fear. Even with all the bribes, with all the incentives, everybody was stymied by the fact that the odds look bad. This battle doesn't seem winnable. And based on my evaluation of the odds of this battle, I'm not going anywhere near Goliath. Most of the other soldiers, all they saw was the risk. Therefore, they are not taking up the challenge. But David, something within him, the character that he had, the dependence that he had on God, he saw past the risk to the possibilities. And because he saw past the risk to the possibilities, fear was put down and he was willing to try. He was victorious over the fear that the others were feeling. Secondly, David was victorious over the pressure to conform to how everybody else expected him to act. I mean, don't you think it was tempting for David to say to himself, I'll tell you what, 
If you just get a tailor to, to adjust this armor and let me train with this sword a little bit, then I'll be able to fit into the way that you think I should fight this battle. And it must have been flattering for the king personally to be giving David his own armor and to be helping him on with it and, and uh, trying to assist him in that way. I, I think it was difficult to reject the expectations of everybody around him in terms of this is how you should go forward. You've been in those situations. Well, everybody thinks it's go, it should go this way, but there's a little thing inside of you that says, no, that's not for me. No, that's not right. But human beings have a tendency to conform. The tendency to conform, the pull to conform is so strong. Nobody ever wants to appear the fool. Nobody ever wants to stand out. But David felt this pressure as he had a passion for the glory of God and he knows that God is going to be glorified in the victory, but this is not going to be the way that David can gain victory. So he entered into this situation convinced that the best thing he could do is be true to himself. What a tremendous lesson that is for all of us. Be true to himself as he stands before God, the way that God has designed him to live and to work and in this situation to fight. And the style was based on his personality and his experiences. He was not an accomplished swordsman, but he was good at the slingshot. And thirdly, of course, David had victory over the enemy. And the victory came not so much because David was such a good shot, but because God was with him. I think David would recognize it is God that guided that stone. God that sent it to just the right mark. It was God who struck that giant down. It was David's ability to simply trust in God that delivered the victory that day. And so David was victorious in this David and Goliath struggle. We learned some lessons from David's example to us. And the first lesson is this. Do common things uncommonly well and God will be glorified. This is another way of saying, be faithful in the small things. David was able to be skilled with the sling because he was faithful out tending the sheep. And he protected those sheep above and beyond the call of duty. Uncommonly well. I don't believe for a moment that Jesse said to David before he went out to, to the sheep in the fields, said, listen, if a lion comes, you take that lion out. I can't imagine any father would say that to his son. If a bear comes, you wrestle that bear to the ground. No, this is not worth a few sheep to put David's life in line. But David ha had this common job and he did it uncommonly well. He used the weapons at his disposal. He saw that a job had to be done and he did it with all of his heart. It shows me that faithfulness in small things will lead to blessings in big things. Dan, uh, D David had been faithful in the fields, and so now he's blessed in battle. Luke 16, 10, Jesus is speaking, and he says, Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. Whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest in much. So what are the small things, the common things in your life that God is wanting you to do uncommonly well? They're the things that maybe we're tempted to slack off on. The things that we say, well, no one's looking, no one's watching, no one's noticing. 
Maybe they're the area where you feel underappreciated, that routine task that you have to do. And maybe it's something as simple as making sure you get to work on time or making, making the, the house neat or making sure your lunch hour is actually a lunch hour and not more than that. Keeping appointments, which speaks to keeping our word. As students, it means doing your homework, studying for the test, doing your best. Maybe it's being the first person in the office or the, your workplace in the morning that smiles to somebody else. The first person to say, good morning. Maybe it's helping in jobs around the house. There's all kinds of ways that we apply this particular lesson. Do common things uncommonly well. All these tasks, none of them are a straight line to greatness, but they are building blocks of the kind of character that God wants to see in us that can be released to greatness. Lesson number two, go through life expecting God to show up. Verse 37, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion, the paw of the bear, will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. He didn't talk about his accuracy with the slingshot. He didn't talk, talk about his own personal skills. David recognizes that this is going to be a God thing. But I have a God who shows up. Evelyn Underhill once wrote these words. Our whole life is to be poised on a certain glad expectancy of God, taking each moment, incident, choice, and opportunity as material placed in our hand by the Creator. I love that line, a glad expectancy of God. David sees that the giant is just as tall as the other people think that he is. He knows that this man is big and strong and mean. He's not deluded into thinking that somehow he has what it takes in himself to bring about the giant's defeat. He realizes this is going to be up to God to get this done. My job is to follow what God prompts me to do, and God will get this done. And this is going to be a God thing. If God does not show up, this is not going to be good. And the challenge for us is to ask ourselves, is there anything in my life that I can say that about? Is there anything that I'm involved in, that I'm a part of, that God needs to help me here? And if God doesn't help me here, I, I am, this is not going to happen. Because it's that place where you're walking in those footsteps that is walking by faith. If God doesn't show up, it's not going to happen. But I believe I have a God who shows up. And he works, and he gives victories. David will never slay this giant with conventionally uh, worldly weapons. So he simply says, God, I want you to guide this rock to where it needs to go. When we walk through life not expecting God to show up, when we walk through life and we think that every challenge we face, every giant issue that is before us, it's really all on us, our strength, our smarts, our abilities, our connections. It's all on us to get this thing solved. When we go through life like that, even though we may wear the label Christian, we are living like an atheist. The atheist doesn't expect God to show up either. Expect God to show up. We know God is in charge here. It means I will rejoice in His nearness. I will rejoice that He has me in mind and I have Him in mind. I don't know if by now David had written Psalm 23. Maybe he had already composed it or maybe it will come to him later. 
But he doesn't say in that psalm, the Lord is my rancher and he may be back at the ranch while I'm out in the field. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. He is with me. He knows me. He sees me. He knows my name. And since the Lord is my shepherd, I will rely on his power. It's not that, that st those stones were so great, but the stones were guided by God, that one stone. Thirdly, we learn not to let criticism stop us. I didn't read that portion of the chapter to you, but the backstory is this. When David arrived to give his brothers the food that his father had sent to them so that they could be well fed and so forth, um, and he first offered to do something against Goliath because nobody else was doing anything, his brothers criticized him for that. These are the brothers who were skipped over by Samuel. These are the brothers who saw David still as the runt of the litter, only here to deliver food to them, the soldiers, and now he's trying to be the center of attention. I think they resented the fact that he is upstaging them. He's willing to try something that they're not willing to do. It makes them look bad. And so they criticize him for it. But we know that God uses the small things of life. A stone. Never be influenced by the critic. Never be stymied by the skeptic. God does not see you the way your critics see you. They do not have the insight into who you are and what can be through God's help. God always views us based on our potential. So don't let the critics stop you. God sees what you can become, and we don't want, want to limit ourselves to the trappings of the moment or evaluate ourselves only by looking back and remembering the times when we didn't do very, very well. God sees you in terms of the future, what can be, and He promises to lend power to the struggle when you depend on Him. Don't let the critics stop you. Fourthly, motivate others. This is the end of the story. Verse 52. When the men of Israel and Judah, then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines. <laughs> Once the giant went down in a heap, all of a sudden Israel got courageous. But that was the influence of David. See, none of us live lives all to ourselves. We're always affecting the people around us. We're always influencing people around us. And this is why a personal relationship with Jesus Christ is not private religion. It's personal, but it's not private. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, make it visible. As you have struggles and battles in life, let it be known that you are facing these issues, praying that the Lord gives you the help and the assistance and the power. Talk about your prayers. Allow your children to see you at prayer, to see you in the Word. Discuss with them the lessons that we go over here in church and the lessons that they go over in Sunday school and their Sunday school classes. Make this something that's visible in life. While it, why? It will motivate others. Encourage others to see, you know what? The battle is the Lord's. The battle is the Lord's because I am the Lord's. And that right there is the difference. 
See, David was able to face this struggle confident that he had a relationship with the God he knew would show up. He had a relationship with that God. He wasn't just going through rituals. And, avail- and it's available to us today, that same relationship we can have, have with Jesus Christ by faith. It starts when we repent of our sin and when we turn to Him and we ask for the forgiveness that He earned for us on the cross because on the cross, Jesus took the punishment for our sin. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And people recite that verse and they think about the cross and they they hope for heaven, but you know what? It doesn't happen automatically. It doesn't happen simply because we do the ritual. It happens because we have a relationship and we've turned to Jesus in faith. And, And I wonder if there's somebody here or maybe somebody at home who hearing this is honest enough to say, you know, I'm not sure I have that relationship. No, I I believe in my mind, but I'm not sure I have a heart relationship with Jesus because I've never repented of my sin and asked Him to be my Savior. He wants that because it's a choice. And it's a choice you make by faith and a choice you express in a prayer. And maybe there's somebody here today or watching at home that needs to make that choice. And I'm, I'm going to help you do that. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? I'm going to lead you in a prayer. These are not magic words. These are words that express the desire of your heart. And if this is you and you want today to make sure you have that relationship and forgiven forever, you pray, Lord Jesus, I need you. Come into my life. I repent of my sin. Forgive me, I pray. And now, I want to live for you. I want to be born again into a new family, the family of faith. Help me to be your child. If you prayed that prayer or anything like it, The angels are rejoicing and the Holy Spirit is responding, changing your heart from the inside out. Heavenly Father, I don't know who prayed that prayer, but I believe that you want us all at some point to come to the point of repentance, renewal, and faith in you. So I pray that for those who said yes to you, that they would know beyond a shadow of a doubt something is changing within them. I pray that they would talk about that experience, the the prayer that they prayed, and that they would be able to uh, find Christian brothers and sisters who would encourage them in this walk. And we pray, Lord, for all of us that as we walk in this relationship, that we are those who are depending on you for the battles that we face. Help us find the victory that you have for us, your victory, your way, and your timing. Lord, we depend on you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.